Let's pray. God, thank you so, so much. God, thank you for being so good. Thank you for blessings. God, thank you, Father. We could, well, we could just take just this phone right here and go back through to some prayer lists that are way down on the, on the list and prayers that are there. That honestly, God, we could take them all off. They're, they're healed. They're done. Some of them are just a, a precautionary prayer, if you will, God, that you just keep your hands upon them. But you, you've answered so many prayers and healed so many sick and Lord, you've saved so many lives, so many families, so many marriages, so many children, God. You've been so good to us, Father. I just want to take time to tell you thank you, God. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Lord, we thank you for the precious blood. I thank you for this book, God. I thank you, Lord, for what it tells us, for what it teaches us, God. It tells us all about your love for us. But Lord, it also teaches us how to live and how to walk daily, God, and how to try to live a life pleasing to you, Lord. I pray you take this book tonight and teach it to us. I pray you'd help each one of us to learn something, Father. Give us a little nugget out of here, something that would make us walk out and serve you better. And God, we pray most of all, may you be pleased with everything that we do. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. So Acts chapter 20, if you want to be turning in your Bible, we left off last week. We were talking about time. <laughs> we were talking about the issue of time and the problem in the church today. The church is so focused on time. Everybody thinks that church is a timed event. It's supposed to get out by 12 o'clock or it's supposed to be from 11 to 12 or 1030 to 12. And we're so focused on time that, that a lot of times the churches of today aren't getting what they ought to get. Because we walk out on God because we run out of time just before God's ready to do something. And that's where we ended last week because we ran out of time. Everybody said amen, right? That, that's kind of where we are. That's the reality of it. Time ran out. But, but Paul's about to go on another journey. So he's given his last sermon here and he's preaching at midnight. And we would made it up to where Eutychus here has fallen asleep at the third floor balcony. And he fell out and, and was dead. Verse number 7 of Acts chapter 20. Upon the first day of the week, his disciples come together to break bread. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, continued his speech until midnight. We talked about that last week. That's not a written speech. That's not just a talk speech. That is a sermon. He is preaching. He's sharing the gospel one last time before he leaves this town. There were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and they're sitting under a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. As Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep, fell down from the third loft, and was taken up dead. But in verse number 20, Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, that's kind of where we left off last week. That's about where we ran out of time. And I told you that had a relationship to, to some other miracles in the Old Testament. And it shows the power that the Apostle Paul had. We talked about it before, about Paul's power to heal, Paul's ability to cast out demons and do the things he does, and, and how people today want to claim to be apostles. No, they're not. They know they have apostolic powers. There's a lot of that false teaching goes on. But, but what we see right here is equivalent to what we saw with Elijah when she stayed with the widow woman, and the oil never ran out, and the, the mill never ran out, and he just kept living there. But then we know that her son died, and, and we know that Elijah went in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 21. He stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. And the child was revived. And then in 2 Kings, Elisha, remember how he stayed with the Shunammite woman. And they made a, a little room, if you will, off the side of their house so that as the man of God was traveling, he would have a place to stay. And he stayed there in his own room, in his own quarters. And because she had been so kind and had so many good deeds, he wanted to do something for her. And she was barren and her husband was 
well advanced in years, but he told her, you're going to have a son. And she had a son, but the son died. And then in verse, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 21, she went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. So she left to go get the man of God. She left her, her dead son there to go get Elisha. And, and when Elisha started coming, he sent Gehazi, a servant, out to meet her. He said, run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say to her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she gives one of the most amazing answers in the Bible. She says it is well. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to do a breakdown. I'm going to study. I want to know how she did that. I, I want to know how she got that answer because there, there's God all in that right there, what she's facing. I mean, she's left to go get help because she's distressed about her son. But she says, all is well. So, so he sends Gehazi with the staff to go lay it upon the child, but it doesn't work. Comes back and says it doesn't work, but in 2 Kings chapter 4 still, verse number 34, he went up and lay upon the child, put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands, stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro. He's pacing. He went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes. He called Gehazi. He said, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, take up thy son. That's kind of the same power that we see here in the Apostle Paul. He takes this young man up and, and embraces him, and he's alive. So here in our text, verse number 11 says that when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten, he talked a long while, even till the break of day, so he departed. You know, we talked about it last week, how um, when, when, the, when, when the scribe stood up and Ezra read the reading of the Word of God, and he was reading the law, and he read from daylight till noon, and the people stood up. And it wasn't a big deal to the people. They were just thankful to hear the law of God. They were thankful to once again be free, to be able to hear. So that's one of the problems we got today. We've been free so long, we don't know what it's like not to be. They'd been captive so long, it was a big deal for them to get to hear the reading of the law of God again. It was a big deal for them to get to have church. It was a big deal for them to get to come together again as a nation. But, but they came together, and, and, and really <laughs> what, what we see right here, they've come together to, to break bread. And, and, I mean, the people have been there till midnight, and now this happened with Eutychus. And so he goes into breaking bread. Notice he, he doesn't go right back into his message. He kind of changes things up. They break bread. They do some things together, probably got the young man some bread. They sat around. But one of the things that Paul did, he wasn't through with his message and he didn't stop short. He went on back into it and it says that he went on all the way until daybreak. In verse number 13, we see the word we again. Y'all remember we talked about that last week, how we first saw it when Luke used it in chapter 16 when he talked about we so we know that he joined the apostle Paul. And then last week, we, he joined the apostle Paul again. We have that Word again here in verse 13 that he went before to ship, and we went before to ship and sailed to Isos. There intended to take in Paul, for he had appointed minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Isos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. Now, the distance from Troas to Isos is about 20 miles. Paul tells him, he says, You guys take the ship, I'm going to walk. I'll meet you when you get there. So, so he, he takes some time away from, uh, from disciples, from friends, from companions, from preachers. Call them what you will. They, they are his partners in, in the ministry here. I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking Paul wanted some time alone. 
Now, it, it could have been one last, and we'll see as we look through this. He pretty well knows he's never coming this way again. He pretty well knows this is his last time through this country. This is, as we'll see when he's preaching here to the men at Ephesus in a minute. He pretty well knows God's got something for him to do that's going to take him to Rome and to other places. He pretty well knows he's not coming back. So there's the possibility that he takes this 20-mile walk to reflect through some things and look through some things and maybe see the land again. But I'm, I'm really thinking the Apostle Paul was a lot like Jesus. I think he needed some time alone. You know, Jesus separated himself alone a lot of times, even from his own disciples, to go pray, right? Because he needed to get alone and spend some time with the Father. He, he needed some time not with people. And if you notice, most of the time when Jesus went into some alone place to pray, right after that, there's a storm of some kind. Right after that, something big's coming, so he spent some time. I, listen, it's just a great practice for everybody. I haven't done it in a lot of years. I probably need to again. Robin will tell you, I used, would go down to Alabama where my parents are from. My grandmama's house is there. Actually, my sister has the house down and out with my dad's, where one of my aunts lived next door, but it's out in the middle of nowhere. At the time, there's no cell phone service. Take a case of water and go down there for three or four days and just stay. No cell phone, no stuff, no people. Sometimes, listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter right here how much Paul loves the ministry, and it doesn't matter how much Paul loves the people. Sometimes you just need to be alone. Sometimes you just need some time with God. You just need some time to just sit down and, and kind of be quiet that, that he can talk. And I, I, don't, I don't know because it doesn't say. I just feel like that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. Because the Apostle Paul knows he's got some hardships coming. We'll see it as we look through this. The Holy Spirit is giving him some evidence of some things that's there. Paul, has, he's here at the end of his third missionary journey. He has poured himself out into the ministry. He's been beaten. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been cast out of city after city. He, he's been abused along the way. And here he is pouring everything out into the ministry. And now he's to go He's about to go back to Jerusalem and face a Jerusalem crowd. So he spent 20 miles walking. I'm thinking he's probably praying while he's walking. I'm thinking he's probably rejoicing while he's walking. He's thinking back about all the things that God has delivered him from. Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever take a couple of days, just go somewhere, just get alone, and just think about all God's done for you? Just think about all the bad things that you've been through that truly was the worst day of your life, but God's brought you on the other side and you can smile again. How God's brought hope out of hopeless situations and brought joy back into, into dead situations. And I, I feel like he's probably walking just rejoicing about some of the things God has done. I think he's probably walking and, and rejoicing looking back on the number of Christian converts that God has used him to reach. Everybody in your past that God has used you to reach as a Christian convert, that is the soul that God has used you to reach is going to heaven for all of eternity. There's great rejoicing to be had in that. Not of ourselves, but that God allowed us to be a part of his kingdom in a way to tell somebody about Christ that they got saved. So I'm sure there's a lot of rejoicing there. And so Paul gets down. He joins them on the ship. Verse number 15. We sailed thence and came the next day over to Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trigillum. The next day we came to Miletus. So you have several days of sailing. I, I was thinking about this because they're, they're by land the whole time. If you look... You know, I put the maps up a couple times. I didn't have time to do that tonight. You can see how they sail. And what you can see, this is kind of like the inland passage at Alaska. If you've ever done that on a cruise ship, the inland passage, you're always around land. You're never too far from land. And it's always beautiful. The scenery is pretty with the mountains and things that's there. 
That's kind of like this trip that Paul is taking. So I'm thinking about that. I realize he's on a cruise ship. He's on some little ricky-rack boat with some sails on it. But he's probably sitting under the sails or some of it. And, you know, there's something about being, anybody like being on the water besides me? Anybody like the water? Man, there's something about the water. There's something about being out on the boat, something about the, the breeze blowing. God has given Paul some time right here on a boat. Going around this inland passage, seeing these shorelines and probably enjoying the breeze. And, and I, I would imagine there's some beautiful weather just because I feel like God's doing something for him. And he's sitting around with his partners in the ministry and they're sharing stories about the things God has done. And, and they're, they're probably having some prayer time together, strengthening one another. They're, they're probably doing some time reading some, some scriptures and just putting things together. But... but it's just like God to give you a time of rest right before he's about to put you to work. Do I need to say that again? It's just like God to give you a time of rest, to give you some refreshing, to give you a little cruise ship kind of deal with the breeze in your face and, and, and some, some fellowship. And some, it's just like God to give you some refreshing time before he puts you back to work again. And, and Paul's got something big coming up right here. Now think about what's got to be on the Apostle Paul's mind. I mean, think about where he's going. He, he's, headed, he's headed back to Jerusalem. We know because we have the story. We know because we can read beyond this day that he's going to be arrested. We know about the beatings. We know about the the going to Rome in prison. We know, we know all that. But here's what we have to remember. At this time, God already knows that. It ain't happened yet, but God already knows that. And God is doing some things right here. He's, he's strengthening. Think about the things that's on the Apostle Paul's mind. More than likely, he's going back to Jerusalem. He hasn't forgotten who he used to be. Somebody in here saved what? Anybody here saved? Washed in the blood of the Lamb of God? Let me ask you this to those of you that are saved. Anybody here that's saved have a past before you were saved? Anybody in here forgot that? Anybody in here have no memory of what you used to do? Anybody in here, when, when God wiped away your past, old things passed away, did he erase your memory? Anybody here not remember what you used to do? Does anybody here not remember what God did for you, what God delivered you from, what God took you from? Paul ain't no different. He forgot who Saul was. And he's going back to Jerusalem. There's going to be some widows there, and they're widows because he made them widows. He stood there while their husbands were stoned. He's going back. There's some orphans there, and they're orphans because Paul made them orphans. He's the one that took their father. There's some people there that are beggars. There's some people there that are homeless. There's some people there that are broke because Paul took what they had because he was brutal to the church. And, and those people ain't forgot Saul either. Anybody have somebody in your past that maybe they got saved, they got changed, and you think, yeah, right? See, I was one of those, yeah, right. <laughs> See how long that lasts. What people said about me. See how long that lasts. People that knew me growing up, yeah, right. And, and I, I wasn't just, just bad youngin', but apparently people know a little more about you than you thought they did, right? So, so 
he, he's going back to, to face these people, and we talked about it a little bit last week. He's bringing a huge financial gift back to the church at Jerusalem. Y'all remember last week we read all of the names from all the different churches, and we talked about the people, and the reason there's a representative from each church, they're bringing huge gifts. And we talked about that, how the mother church didn't send out money to take care of all the little offspring churches. All the little offspring churches sent money back to the mother church. They all took up money, and so you've got a huge financial gift that they're bringing back. Maybe Paul thinks in some kind of way, maybe he'll be able to help right some of the wrongs. Maybe he's, I'm sure he's got some hopes that he's going to be able to help some of the poor, some, some of the people that, that need things. Listen, I thank God that all the things of our past are forgiven and forgotten in heaven. Anybody say amen. Anybody thankful that God truly has erased all of it? But everybody's got some things on this planet we wish we could go back and undo. But we can't. But here's what we can do, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. We can make today count. Can't do nothing about yesterday. If, if I offended somebody, ask for forgiveness. If whether they do or don't, that's on them, but, but it's up to us. But, but just, just make this day count. I have no doubt the Apostle Paul has got a lot of things on his mind right here. I think there's a reason he wanted to take that 20-mile walk by himself. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had to pray for a few minutes before you could go join a prayer meeting? <laughs> I've had to sit in the car and pray for a while before I could go join a men's prayer meeting. Because there's some things that I need to pray about that I can't pray about there. I need to go ahead and get some clarity of mind. I need to go ahead and get some things out. I need to go ahead and, and honestly, just get, I, I think that might be where Paul was. I think there's some things he just needs to pray about. He just needs to talk to God out, out loud. But, but he's got a lot going on. Verse number 16, it says, Paul determined to sell by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of the Pentecost. Paul's got a problem. Paul wants to go back to the thriving church at Ephesus, but Paul wants to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and there ain't enough time to do both. By the time he's left, there's no way that, that he can do both. He, he greatly desires to spend Pentecost at Jerusalem. I mean, by the way, that is the birthday of the church, right? Pentecost in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit came. So you're looking at the beginning of the church, which Paul greatly loved. But he doesn't have time to do both, to, to exit the ship and to take the 30-mile walk up to Ephesus. And then who knows what all kind of people he's going to encounter and how many days that could turn into and the 30-mile walk back and then make it to Pentecost. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have time. So he, he tells the leaders to, to come down with him so he can give them some instructions to take back to the church. Verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. He called the elders of the church. When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. We just talked about it. Paul, Paul's got a pretty good idea that he's never going to pass this way again. He's wanting to leave some positive instructions with the elder of the church. You know, we talked about it. He spent about two and a half years here at Ephesus. He spent the first three months, you remember, at the synagogue, at the Jewish synagogue. And after about three months, they threw him out. Y'all remember that? He lived with a man whose house was hard, fastened, was attached to the synagogue, lived there. So Paul has spent, spent some time right here. 
There's not a man, my opinion, my opinion. Peter's an incredible man. Jesus said that's the rock he'd build his church. You got Elijah. You got Elisha. Those were Old Testament, so they couldn't have been talking about Christ. So just just look in my opinion. There's not a man outside of Jesus Christ who does more for the gospel of Jesus Christ than the Apostle Paul. Just, just my opinion, but looking at, at what I see of what man did and what's done, and I'm not saying that every one of your places isn't as equally as important. Every soul that you've reached is just as important as anything Paul did. I'm not saying any of that, but, but out, out of what I see for, for me, there's not anybody outside of Jesus Christ who does more for the preaching of the gospel in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. Paul has been completely delivered from that Old Testament Judaism. Paul has been completely delivered from the legalism of the law. He is completely rid of all of that past. He loves the church. He loved Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. He loves the converts. He loves the Christians. But Paul is looking forward to participating in, in we, saw, we just saw him do the Passover, and now to go back and to do uh, the, the, the Pentecost here at Jerusalem. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, in chapter 9, verse number 19, he said, Though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. To the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul still has great hopes of reaching some of his Jewish brothers. Paul, Pharisee of Pharisees, extremely educated, grew up in their school. He knows the law. He knows where they are. He knows their position. And and he knows how hardcore they are. And he desperately wants to see them saved. Yes, he's an apostle to the Gentiles. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. But that doesn't change the fact that when I'm around the Jew, I'm going to do everything I can to reach the Jew. He tells the elders here at Ephesus, verse number 20, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I held nothing back. Yeah, most churches today probably can't say that. See, that's a huge failure in the church today. That, that's a huge shortcoming in the church today. I mean, let's just, let's just be real. People don't want you to preach on tithing too often. I mean, you talk about them old whoremongers if you want to. You, you talk about all them, 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 them old druggeries or if, if you want to. You talk about all that, but, but they don't want you talking too much on tithing. They get a little uncomfortable you start getting up in the hip pocket. You know, stay out there in them sinners. People don't want you to preach too much on the need to be in the house of God on Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is. All the more so as you see the day approaching. They don't want you preaching on that because that gets all up in the crawl a little bit. Because they're enjoying sitting home in their nightgowns, in, in their PJs, in their flannels, putting it on on live stream, claiming they're watching church when five minutes into it. They can't tell you a word that was said. 
They, they love the shortcuts. They, they love not having to do what the Word of God says. So they don't want you preaching too much on, on why we ought to be in church. People, people don't like it if you preach too much about how we ought to be worried about worshiping God when we come into the house instead of what time we're going to get out of the house. People don't want you preaching too much about bad habits or drinking or the nightclub or staying away from all that. They don't, they don't want you preaching on that. And as a result, many pulpits today won't say much about that because they're afraid it'll hurt their attendance. You can't fill the building if you're not tickling people's fancy, tickling them behind the ear, making them feel good about themselves. So the pulpit today can't claim what the Apostle Paul right here claimed. He said, I held nothing back. He said, I, I shared the, the gospel with you. Paul says, you know I've held nothing back. I gave it to you in its entirety. He says, now you go and do the same. Feed the sheep. Take care of the flock. Protect them from the wolves, and we'll get to that because we see a lot of wolves start creeping in really quick right, right after this. But Paul says, I, I have shown you. He says, I've taught you publicly, but he also says, and from house to house. I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm as guilty as anybody. About four years ago, I don't know, it may have been five by now, it was before COVID. I went one day, Robin said, on a Saturday, I spent all day gone. I went to these subdivisions right down here, and I went door to door to door to door to door to door. I walked through every one of them subdivisions. I knocked on every door. Half of them wouldn't come out. That's probably thanks to Jehovah's Witnesses. That's probably who they thought I was. And talked to people and talked to people, talked about the Lord, talked about the church. Everything. I spent an entire Saturday visiting people, not one came. And most of them, to be honest, you could tell you weren't very welcome to be there. You were disturbing people. So, so I'm as guilty as anybody. I said, I'm through with the door to door. Paul said, I ain't. I don't care if I'm welcome or not. I don't care if they like me or not. I don't care if they want to hear what I got to say or not. I'm going to, they ain't coming to me, so I'm going to them. And, and here's what he did. He didn't show up with a cute, pretty little colorful trifold about my church. Let me tell you about my church, and we got all these activities for children, and your kids will love it, and you can come do this, and we're going to have this, this latest thing on Thursday. Y'all can come eat tomorrow night, and we're going to have a Sunday afternoon fellowship this coming Sunday. We're going to have some sandwiches. You get to come eat. It ain't going to cost you a dime. He didn't have no colorful trifolds. He come up and said, you're dying. You're going to go to hell. Let me tell you about the way to, let me tell you about Christ. He didn't come up with some pretty little flyers like the last time we did this church-wide a few years back. And I had the flyers printed, and we went church-wide, and I handed out. And we put different groups to about 12 different subdivisions around here. And we took little cards, pretty little cards, to invite people to He's Live, try to make a difference, and try to hand them another one that told them the church, invite them to church. He didn't hand out no pretty little cards. He walked in there and confronted them with their sin and the need for salvation. He went from door to door telling people about the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jew, also to the Greeks. And, and here it is. This is the gospel in its simplest form. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul didn't show up with a lot of fluff. And, and that night when he preached till midnight and Eutychus fell and he preached on the devil, there wasn't no fluff in that neither. There, there wasn't no announcements, there wasn't no stuff, there wasn't no time killing. It, it was all about the Word. Paul shows up with the only thing that matters. Here's the truth. If we will lead them to the Lord and they truly get saved, we won't have to invite them to church. You can't keep them out of it. That's just the truth. 
You can invite people to church and change their Sunday routine and not change their eternity. But if somebody truly gets washed in the blood of the Lamb of God and they get it, they're going to be in church. Same reason you're here, because they want to be in church. Because you want to be around the brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord. So our job is to go out there and do the same thing Paul did. Not, not invite them with pretty little flyers, but tell them about Jesus Christ. Verse number 22, he says, Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. It's obvious that the Holy Spirit has already revealed some things to the Apostle Paul about his future. It's obviously that, I mean, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He says he don't really know what to expect, but obviously the Holy Spirit's given him some wisdom. He's given him something that, that there's something. He says, bound in the Spirit I go, verse 23, say that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Paul says there are some afflictions waiting on me. Verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What we can see is that Paul looks at life with a clearly different perspective than pretty much everybody in today's world. He, he has a a different purpose. He has a, a higher purpose, a higher plan, if you will. He has a, a higher view on life. You remember last week we looked at the fact that Paul has just written the letter to the church at Rome, right? Right? Anybody remember that? He, he just has written the letter to the church at Rome. And, and here's some of the things he said in Romans 5, 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Raise your hand if you, if you do that one. I can look back and see some tribulations that I went through, and I can say, thank you, Lord, for getting me through it then. And I can say, thank you for where I am now because I can see where I grew. But I promise you, I didn't say thank you for them then. And if I'm in one now, I probably ain't going to say thank you for the one now either. I like the sunny mountaintops just as much as everybody else. I like the sand between your toes on the beach in the bright sunny days just like everybody else. Nobody just sits around and wait for the storm clouds to come up. Paul says he glories in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Chapter 8, he wrote, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Anybody like viewing yourself as that? I'm just a sheep destined for the slaughter. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul had an assurance that nothing could keep him from being a conqueror. Paul has an assurance of what he's doing. See, man's idea of the worst possible thing they could do to him was kill him was Paul's idea of the best thing they could do for him. The worst thing they thought they could do to him was the best thing he thought they could do for him. Take me out of this body and to be absent from this body, I'll be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't scare me with killing me. You get me all excited. You start talking about putting me out of my misery. 
That, that's the way the Apostle Paul was. He, he wrote in his letter to the Philippians. He said, let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in the fashion as a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath so highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here in our text, Paul says, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Y'all ready? I, I, I'm, I'm about out of time, so let me... Let me give you this, and, and that'll be a good time to close. Paul did finish his course with joy, but not the kind of joy we like to think of. Paul finished his course with joy in, in being beaten by the hands of the Jews, being shipwrecked, being snake-bitten, perils at sea, perils on land, Perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen. So, so, so Paul spends the next 10 years of his life. After this point, Paul's got about 10 years left in ministry before Nero takes his life. And, and he spends it in all of these things. And he says, all of that will be my joy. All of the things that I'm going to suffer for Christ, they're all going to be my joy. And he wrote a letter to a young man by the name of Timothy. And in that letter, he wrote some things to Timothy, but he did not just write them to Timothy. If the Holy Spirit had just penned them to Timothy, they would not be in this book. So he penned some young things addressed to Timothy to put in the gospel for all of my children, for all Christians, for all of mankind. This is what Paul has to say to every Christian who, who will ever live their life for Christ. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with long, all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They will turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Y'all ready for verse number 8? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. You ready? Not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul says, do it like I did it. And you'll, you'll have joy. It'll be a joyful life, and it'll sure be a joyful homecoming when we get there. Father, thank you so much for this book, God. Thank you for this book. Thank you for what it teaches us, God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. I know he's not the benchmark. He's not even close to the benchmark. He's a man full of failures. He's a man that murdered. He's a man that was Saul of Tarsus. He, he is a man full of mistakes. But God, I see his benchmark way higher above anything I've ever obtained. 
God, I pray you'd help us, Father, to have a mind like Paul, a, a, a heart like Paul, to reach the lost, whether, whether it be a, a Jew or a Gentile, whether it be somebody that loves us or hates us, it makes no difference. Our, our job is the same. Love them, pray for them, and tell them about Christ. God, I pray you'd help us to be that people. I pray you'd help us to be that church. God, I pray you'd use us as we go out into the streets, Father. Help us, God, to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, that souls might be saved, that lives might be changed. We love you, Father. We just want to be pleasing to you. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.